Hey friends, with as many of you guys who are listening to this each week, I know so many of you are carrying a heavy weight of pain and loss. Your story has not gone the way that you thought it was going to go. And when we, when we start to process what's happening in our lives, we can often find ourselves paralyzed by the pain, not really knowing where to go from here, what to do from here. And uh, you know, I know from experience that we even begin to, to tell ourselves lies like, this is the end of your story. This will always define you. And trust me, I've been there. But with the help of others, I was able to navigate my way out of that valley. And at Nothing Is Wasted Ministries, we exist to help you navigate your pain and even find purpose from that pain. So if you're new to our community and you're wondering where to start or you've been with us for some time and you're just looking to take your next step, I'm hosting a free live call just for you. In that call, we're going to talk about the five steps to taking back your story, no matter what you've gone through. I'm going to share with you a little more of my own journey of how God met me in my valley and guided me after losing my wife, Amanda. And I'm going to teach you five critical steps that you'll have to take in order to rewrite your story. The call is going to be right at 60 minutes long, but I promise you, it's going to be well worth your time because in it, you'll learn things like how to regain a sense of agency and begin thriving, not just surviving, but thriving in the midst of your trying circumstances. Why having more questions than answers may be an essential part of moving forward. How to get rid of the overwhelming negative emotions that tend to bog you down and get you stuck. We're going to talk about the one key decision that you're going to have to take in order to move through your pain and and beyond it. How to listen to the right voices when everyone seems to have an opinion on what you quote unquote should do next. And listen to me, a whole lot more. So if you're feeling weighed down or paralyzed by the pain you've experienced, you don't have to stay there. I want to be your guide and show you the way back to thriving. Just go to nothingiswasted.com slash start here. Again, that's nothingiswasted.com slash start here to sign up for this free live call. Or if you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, just click the link at the bottom in the show notes. We've made it extremely easy for you to sign up and we're offering multiple date and time options for this live call to work with your calendar. Guys, I believe this one step could be the very breakthrough you need to put you on the redemptive path God has for you. Just open up your browser on your phone right now and go to nothingiswasted.com slash start here or click the link we've included in the show notes of this episode. I'm in your corner and I can't wait to connect with you soon. Welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, where we believe that no matter what you've gone through in life, God is inviting you to partner with Him to take back your story. On this podcast, we have inspiring conversations with people who are doing just that. And now, your hosts, Davey Blackburn and Aubrey Sampson. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, and I am your guest host, Eric Shoemaker. And, and I am, oh, your other host, Aubrey Sampson. And that's the first time Eric introed us. So that was very yes, fun. Yes, that was fun. It's, yeah. it's, uh, well done. It's, it's good to be here. Uh, making new friends and getting to know your community. Yeah, we love having you with us. And in fact, I, Eric, I think it's next week we have a conversation with you. Yes, and yeah. So that's going to be so fun. Our audience will get to know you a little bit more writing about your own experience of grief and heartache. And so I cannot wait to talk to you next week about that. Eric will be with us again next week. That'll be sort of a strange um 
uh, what's that Leonardo DiCaprio movie, like an Inception moment where you're oh, yeah. introducing yeah, your own... Oh, little meta, yeah. Yeah, that'll be, that'll be kind Hopefully of exciting. Hopefully I like the episode. It'd be weird to say, that was great. <laughs> <laughs> that was a very average episode I did. Yeah, I see all the points that I could... A little overrated. <laughs> no, it'll be amazing. Well, today we have another incredible episode for you. And this one I think so many of you are going to connect with. Dr. Michelle Bankson, um, she grew up in a home with a mom who was severely clinically depressed her entire childhood and actually didn't realize that this was depression. She sort of thought this was what life was like, but then she experienced severe postpartum depression herself. She was a clinical neuropsychologist. She had diagnosed many of other, other patients and kind of ironically plunged into a major health crisis herself. A lot of depression, a lot of heartache, hospitalized, got very, very sick, and found that God met her there. And she has a new book out called Today is Going to Be a Good Day. 90 Promises from God to Start Your Day Off, right? She writes and, and speaks, obviously, and cares a lot about the mental health community. So I, man, this is, uh, I think going to be a really powerful one. Eric, I know this is kind of the field that you're entering into as a pastor studying mental health. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm doing a master's in mental health right now. Yeah. Tell me about, and we'll talk more about this later when we come back, but tell me a little bit about the importance of mental health in the church. Well, it's, I think it's something that's been overlooked and neglected for a long time, uh, failing to recognize that um, our brain and our mind is, you know, our brain's an organ, it's a part of our body, and it can break down um, and be affected by corruption and the fall and things that happen to us, just like our kidneys or our heart or our liver. Mm. And um, those things need to be addressed. And it's, it's not... Um, simply a matter of you're in sin, repent and believe more. And then these yeah. mental health issues will go away. Mm. And, um, and, and this is, you know, I, one thing I'd have our listeners just pay attention to from Dr. Bankson is just her, it's remarkable how much she learned by experience, even though mm. she had, you know, uh, certification in these areas, wow. uh, really important point. I think that comes out. Yeah, I think you're right. And I feel like it fits so well with nothing is wasted because we see that, it, you know, even though she probably would never go through this again, even though this was deep, deep hardship that impacted her ministry and her work for other people. So mm -hmm. listeners, we know you are going to be very moved by what you hear from Dr. Bankson. So let's go ahead and take a listen to Davy's conversation with Dr. Michelle Bankson. Well, Dr. Michelle Bankston, it's so great to have you on the podcast with me. Thanks for joining me. Oh, it's my delight to be here with you today. You know, I just discovered that you hail from a very a city that is very near and dear to my heart, Greenville, South Carolina. Oh my goodness. It's amazing. It's beautiful here. Anytime you come back through Greenville, you need to stop by. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's so many great restaurants and coffee shops and all the, I mean, Main Street downtown. And if you're watching this, you're listening to this and you've not visited Greenville, South Carolina, it is the hidden gem of the United States of America. I really do believe it is the quaintest city that our country knows. It's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. Um, and so I'm very jealous. Thanks for rubbing it in that you're beautiful <laughs> there right now because it's freezing cold in the Midwest right now. We hit a cold snap. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm thrilled and delighted that we get to have this conversation because there's so many folks who are 
listening to this, watching this, and they're, they're, they found themselves in this, this deep, dark night of the soul, this trauma or tragedy that they're in the middle of wrestling through and they've just experienced. And, you know, I know you have a story of your own that has really contributed to the work that you were already doing and that you're doing now. Um, but I'd love for our listeners to hear a little bit about you and about your story. And then I'd love for them to hear from some of your expertise and what you're doing. So let's do this. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself right now, current, modern day. What is, what is life like for you? Life is busy, but it's exciting. <laughs> it's filled with doing the Lord's work. I'm a board certified clinical neuropsychologist and an author and a speaker and a podcast host. But I would have to tell you that my most treasured labels are wife to my husband, Scott, of 34 years and mom to two young adult boys who are pursuing after the Lord. Mm, that's amazing. That's amazing. Well, you know, how did you get into what you're doing? Because I know you probably got into it for certain reasons and I know you're probably still in it and you have a renewed sense of passion more than likely because of some kind of pain that you've been walking through and that you have walked through. So talk a little bit about your story and how that wound you up here. I lost my father when I was 15 years old. He had had a heart attack two years before and changed his whole lifestyle. I started exercising every day and eating a heart-healthy diet, and, and I was actually having surgery in Delaware during the summer, was in the hospital all summer, and my mom and I drove home through the night in order to get home for my brother's birthday. And before we woke up the next morning, he had died of a second major heart attack. Wow. And I I needed help to get through that time. I knew the Lord. He was my personal Lord and Savior, but I just I needed some tangible help because nobody else I knew yeah. had gone through the loss of a parent. And so that kind of started my desire to go into psychology because I think we all need help from time to time counseling and therapy right. and 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 working with our pastoral staff but that is what prompted me going into psychology but it was my first semester in graduate school and I took a class in neuroanatomy and just fell in love with the brain wow. and honestly it was one of those situations where I knew God existed I mean, I, I could look at the, the trees changing color and following it. How can you not believe in God? But yeah. taking that neuroanatomy class, I was like, how could anyone not believe in God? I mean, yeah. the way the tiny cells and synapses work together just to produce voice or hearing or movement. I was just enthralled. And so I, I kind of switched my direction and decided to go into neuropsychology so that I could help evaluate and treat patients with any kind of brain dysfunction from ADHD or learning disabilities to depression or anxiety wow. and dementia, stroke and everything in between. And it's been a over 30 year career and I've just absolutely, absolutely loved it. Wow, wow. I love right now what we're uncovering and discovering about the brain. I mean, I feel like there's been so much over the past 15, 20 years that just has been peeled back in terms of our understanding of how the brain works and, you know, um, neural anatomy and neuropsychology, all of that stuff, right? Mind mapping and how that integrates with our faith. Absolutely. And I think the churches, I've seen the churches starting to open up and become more accepting of this at first, it was met with resistance, yeah. right? Because, right. you know, but it almost feels like we're in a modern day kind of like, um, 
you know, uh, back Galileo Copernicus type yeah. situation where they're going, well, here's science and here's like, this is what it's revealing. To, and this is what scripture has said about the, the, the roundness of the world and the earth. Right. And then it's like this, this is pointing back to what scripture has told us for so long about how our mind works and the Absolutely. renewing of our mind. And that's what I love about the work that you do. And uh, folks, uh, you know, like you in that field. And it's so helpful to us, those of us who have walked through trauma and those of us who are helping other people walk through trauma to be able to educate people on this. And so I know that, you know, obviously there was a journey for you in terms of learning some of this stuff, but also, you know, you, you grew up in a household where this was a very prevalent issue as well, uh, just experientially. Can you talk to me about that a little bit? Yeah, I grew up in a home with a mother who was from another country, and, and she moved here when she got married to my father. I didn't realize it as I was growing up, but my mother suffered from severe clinical depression throughout my childhood. I didn't have the diagnostic label at that time. I just thought that's the way she is. Right. And it was only after I went into the field of neuropsychology that I realized, oh my goodness, she has been struggling with depression her entire life. And so had her sister and so had her mother. And on the other side of my family, going to family reunions is like entering a room with a walking anxiety disorder. There is so much anxiety on that side of the family. And if I'm being very honest, I dealt with some pride. I really thought, well, I'm the doctor with the alphabet soup after my name and I help thousands, literally thousands of patients who struggle with mental health issues. So I thought having the science information mm. somehow shielded me mm. from that experience, but it didn't. Wow. I, I've got tons of alphabet soup after my name, but it did not prevent me from slipping down into the slippery slope, wow. into depression, anxiety. About two weeks after the birth of my first son, my mother called from another state and she said, I was just calling to check and see how you are, see how the baby is. And I just started to cry. And she said, honey, what's wrong with the baby? I said, nothing. He's absolutely fine. I'm just crying and I can't stop crying over things like a piece of paper falling off the counter. And she said, honey, put your husband on the phone. And so I got my husband and he got on the phone and my mom said, Scott, I think Michelle's dealing with postpartum depression. I want you to hang up with me and call her gynecologist right away. Wow. And he did. And we got in to see him and he put me on some medication and I got through it. And I even went on preventative medication before the birth of my next son because it was so horrific. I didn't yeah. want to go through it again. But the interesting thing was I couldn't see it in myself for what it was. I could mm. easily diagnose it in my patients, yep. but I couldn't see it in myself. So I'm so grateful wow. my mother called that day wow. and I got better and things improved but about 10 years later, I was seeing patients in my private practice and I doubled over in pain. And I thought, ooh, something is not right. And so I got my patients up to the front office where my staff could take care of them. And about the time I was walking back to my office, things were getting worse. And my husband happened to walk through the back door and he said, honey, you don't look very good. And I said, I'm I'm not, and I don't know what's going on, but I, I think we need to go home. Wow. And before he could even get me in the car. I had passed out. And so when I came to, I thought, we, we don't need to go home. We need to go to the emergency room. The pain was unbearable. And, wow. and what ensued was two emergency surgeries, 
five months of medically induced bed rest. I was kept alive on IV hydration and nutrition that whole time. And I dwindled from 113 pounds down to a skeletal 74, which for frame of reference is 30 pounds lighter than I sit before you today. Wow. And I remember thinking, Lord, if I can't be the doctor that I'm used to being, like, what good am I? Man. what I didn't share with you is that my husband had been diagnosed with cancer. And so when he was unable to work, I did what I learned to do when my father died. And that is just jump in and do more. My mother was unable to do anything. Her depression just took over. Her grief took over. So I jumped in and did as much as I could to support the family. Well, when my husband was diagnosed with cancer and he was unable to work, I did my MO and just jumped in and did more to the point that I had been working over 100 hours a week. I would work at the practice until midnight or one o'clock in the morning, go home, take a quick shower, take a quick nap, and I would be back at the office by three or four in the morning. And this went on for months and months and months until my body said, I can't do it anymore. And as I laid in that sick bed, all I could do was pray listen to praise and worship music, or watch sermons online. Like I couldn't be the doctor. I couldn't be what much of a wife or a mother. And I remember crying out to the Lord because I really then fell into the abyss of depression. And I cried out and said, Lord, if this is going to be my life, I'm not sure I want to go on living. And I tried all the things that I would normally recommend to my patients to do. Once I was able... I tried to make prioritize rest, exercise, even just starting by walking around the house. Right. Made sure I was eating right. I went to therapy. I got on medication. And Davy, all those things helped. Right. But in my case, they were not enough to fully eradicate the depression. And I remember wow. crying out to the Lord and saying, I'm doing all, all the things. I know to do. And I, even if you heal me of this illness, I can't go back and be that doctor because I will not recommend something unless I know it works. Wow. And clearly all the recommendations I normally make are not enough. So you're going to have to show me the missing link. And I've never heard the audible voice of God, but it was like, I don't know how to describe it other than a a whisper in my heart. And I felt like God said, until you address the spiritual roots of disease, Mm. it is like you are trying to put a Band-Aid on an infection and hoping it gets well. Wow. And the light bulb just went off. I thought, I've been addressing the physical and the emotional and the mental. Yeah. I've not been addressing the spiritual. And in all honesty, I didn't know what it was. I thought, Lord, I don't I don't know what the spiritual contributors of yeah. depression or anxiety are. You're gonna have to reveal this. And he took me on a journey to show me John 1010, the thief comes only to steal and mm. to kill and to destroy. And if that's all God said, that would be pretty dismal. But then he went on to say, but I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. Mm. And what he showed me is that the thief comes to steal our peace, kill our joy, and destroy our identity. 
And I tell you what, that changed everything for me. It changed how I was the doctor. In mental health, it's really kind of a sticky situation. Our ethics require that we not address the interaction of faith and mental health unless our patients bring it up first. If they bring it up, they're opening the door. But without them bringing it up, well... From that day forward, it was like the Lord opened the doors and patients would bring it up in the strangest ways. And it would allow me to share the truth of God's word and to begin to address some of the most greatest heartache by pulling in scripture and addressing where is God in this and, and how can we use the truth and the promises of God's word to make sure that you can find that health, hope, and healing that you're seeking after. Wow. Wow. That's remarkable. Um, it, you know, it's it's interesting. I you know, just want to note that you had this thought or this idea that you could, you were impervious to any kind yeah. of mental unhealth because of, you know, like you said, the alphabet soup behind your name. Um, and maybe, and then even like, okay, well, now that I've recognized that I have this, I can, I can treat myself. And the reality is, is, you know, it's almost like a surgeon trying to do surgery on himself. Right. Like that's not that you can't do that. And yet there's so many of us who work in this field where, you know, whether we're pastoring yeah. other people, we're helping people with spiritual health, mental health, emotional health, we have that same thought, you know, I know my father-in-law, um, you know, obviously as I, I lost my wife, he lost his daughter. He's a certified biblical counselor. And he admitted that readily, you know, he said that even on our podcast um, in the very early days, he's like, Hey, I, I thought I could apply my counseling training to myself and realize that it's just impossible. You have to have somebody else outside of the minutia of the emotion of that experience really speaking into your life. And so I just think that's interesting to note right there because there's a lot of what we call ourselves wounded healers. In fact, we just did a staff advance Michelle, we did, we just um, kind of secured up with my staff some of our core uh, core values and who we are, and that was one of the major tenets: is we are wounded healers, right? We've come yeah. through our own things. We're still healing, but we're in that healing other people as well. But as people who are listening to this are wounded healers, it's really important to note you've got to have other people who are he- helping For to heal sure. you, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, that's biblical. God never intends us to go through anything. That's right by ourselves. Mm. And I think it's so important that we look who we're surrounding ourselves with. Misery loves company, Mm. but we need those people that are going to be iron sharpening iron, that are not going to be afraid to speak truth into our life and remind us of truth. I told you, I I cried out to the Lord and said, I must just be joy immune. And a very dear friend called a night before one of my emergency surgeries and said, Michelle, I know you know this. I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but I feel like the Lord wants me to remind you that although weeping may last for the night, Mm. his joy comes in the morning. So you cannot be joy immune. Wow. And other people had wow. offered me Bible verses, but if I'm being frank, it just felt like they were like Bible band-aids. And I thought, mm. you don't get it. You've not walked this path. You can't just always slap a Bible verse on right. and think that's going to be the panacea. But this wow. friend, I knew her heart. Mm. I knew that her heart was for me and for the Lord. And there was just something different. 
And I had read that Bible verse probably 200 times before. Yeah. But the Lord used her in that exact moment that I needed it to dispel the lies that the enemy had fed to me that I was joy immune. We can't be joy immune because Jesus came that we might have joy and Mm. have it to the full. And Jesus doesn't cherry pick who the promises are for. They are for all of God's children. And so if that's the case, I can't be joy immune. But what I've also learned is that while God's promises are meant for all of his children, we have a very real enemy who is also an equal opportunist. And he goes after all of us. It just may be that the area that is effective with him for me is not the same as you. But he's always after us. And he attacks us in our mind first, which is why it is so important that we know God's word. Because Jesus said, I'm leaving, but I'm going to send a comforter who will remind you of all truth. Mm. But he can't remind us of truth that we haven't already read and become aware of. That's good. Wow, that's so good. You know, I'm curious... um, you know, you, you noted that you were doing all the things that you advise your patients and your clients to do. And a lot of it pertained to addressing the physical side of things, which is so good, right? There's common grace yeah. that the way that, you know, even you, you, you espouse this as a neuroscientist, neuropsychologist, you're like, this is how God created our body to work. And so if we operate yeah. in the flow of that and function of that, then things just go, we're well, we're, we're well and we're whole. But so you got the physical side of your dressing, you got the mental and emotional side of your dressing, but you noted that you hadn't really dug into the spiritual side. Um, a lot of times in church, we only address the spiritual and we kind of throw out all the other stuff. Right. And so there seems to be this like dualistic approach or a unidimensional approach. And, um, I'm wondering now if you feel like that, that becomes a little bit more formulaic as you're helping other people. And I say this, and here's what, here's what I mean by this. You know, I look in scripture and I see Elijah, right? Who came to a point of deep depression so much that he wanted his life to be ended. He's like, I don't. Right. And what I saw God do in treating Elijah in this is that he, he said, take a nap, (laughs) right? Right. Woke him up, said, okay, here, eat some food, go back to sleep, you know, get some more rest and eat some more food. And then God addressed this fundamental lie that Elijah was believing, a spiritual lie that he was believing, that he was the only one left, right? Right. And so I wonder if you see now, I don't want to be reductionist. Everybody's journey is different different and unique, right? And everybody's healing journey is unique. But do you see that kind of overlay as a, almost a formula now for what you, in, in helping people? Like we can't necessarily get to the spiritual root until we address some of these like surface level common grace things that need to happen, you know, to regulate or, or how would you say what you've experienced now changes your approach or, or informs your approach with people? We have to address the physical side in order to have even the mental or cognitive bandwidth to be able to look at what spiritual contributors there might be. Mm. If we are physically and emotionally exhausted, we are going to be less likely to read God's word. We're going to be less in tune with the thoughts that we're having and the lies that might be slipping into our mind. I'll give you an example. I was, I often speak on these kinds of issues and I needed to prepare a PowerPoint 
well, I can write and I can speak and I can assess your brain, but I'm not very technologically savvy. So a friend was helping me with PowerPoint slides and she said, Michelle, I I just need to know what it is you're trying to express in this. Mm. And I was sitting at my dining room table and my 10 year old, my then 10 year old son was sitting there with me doing homework. And I said, I don't know. I'm just so stupid. And my son looked up and he said, only if you receive that lie, mom. Mm. And it was like the light bulb went off. I had been so wow. exhausted trying to prepare this and do work and care for an ill husband that I hadn't been resting enough. I hadn't been taking time to just be in God's presence. And so all the to-dos of life crowded yeah. out the normal self-care that God tells us to do. Yeah. I think in our society, rest has gotten a really bad rap. Mm-hmm. Like it's a waste of time. Right. It's going to diminish our productivity when the truth is, I know how our brain works and our brain requires rest to continue to perform at optimal levels. So we have to address the physical components if we want to be able to fully then engage in what God wants to do in our heart and our mind. Wow, that's so good. That's so good. Hey friends, I can't tell you how many times we've had someone write in or message us asking us for a list of the podcast episodes and resources we have on a particular topic or pain point. In fact, just the other day, someone asked me, hey, can you point me to all the episodes you guys have on sexual betrayal? Because unfortunately, this person had just recently discovered that this was now part of their story. We get this question so much that we decided to do something about it to make it easier for you. Rather than wading through our entire library of very inspirational content, if I may say so myself, how about if we just give you a list of everything that we have on a particular topic you're looking for? We've done that, built some of these lists, and we call these lists Curated Pathways. With Curated Pathways on topics like grief, child loss, sexual betrayal, childhood trauma, widowhood, and more, we've compiled the very best resources from Nothing Is Wasted Ministries all in one place that will speak directly to what you're experiencing right now or what a friend or a family member is experiencing. We've packaged this in an easy way for you to consume it, you to access this material, or for you to send it over to a friend or family member you know who's experiencing a particular pain point right now. Our Curated Pathways will give you access to everything we've created from past podcast episodes to bonus content, master classes, live coaching, and everything in between. Let's be honest, when you're facing a crisis, a loss, or a trauma, you just don't have the time or the energy or emotional bandwidth to search for what could help you heal. That's why we've created Curated Pathways, so that you can more directly and quickly access the resources that you need. Now, you can get a taste of what our Curated Pathways are all about by going to nothingiswasted.com slash pathways. But if you're ready to go to the next level on your healing journey, you can access the full library of our resources, including the entire Curated Pathway you're looking for by becoming a Community Plus member. For just $20 a month or $200 a year, you'll have access to the complete collection of Nothing Is Wasted Curated Pathways. As a Community Plus member, 
You'll be able to access a new curated pathway each month as our collection grows and as we release those. Our team has been working very hard to catalog, index, organize, and distribute our library of content in a way that will be most helpful to you, to your friends, to your family, because we know what it's like to face pain and we want to equip you with the tools you need to find hope and healing as you move from pain to purpose. Join Community Plus today at nothingiswasted.com slash community plus or get a little taste of our curated pathways at nothingiswasted.com slash pathways. Both of those links are here in the show notes. We want to help you partner with God to take back your story. And we're committed to giving you resources that will help you do just that. You you mentioned something earlier too that like your this whole side of your family had a it seemed like a propensity toward depression and anxiety, and you know depression's a really really prevalent issue. I think even yeah. I mean even more so now. The statistics are all telling us this, and anecdotally we're seeing it as well. And I think so much of it has to do with what you just said, right? That there is a pace of society yeah. now. There's an expectation, a level of expectation of busyness that we carry as a badge of honor that has now yeah. contributed to that depression. But I, I'm, I'm curious if you were to, uh, there, there, there's probably a cocktail of contributions to depression, right? Like, oh, sure. you know, how much does family of origin, how much does uh, genetic predispositions, how much does um, environment, how much does the enemy, spiritual attack, like what, how much do all of these things play into it? And I guess I'm asking that question to make us more aware, yeah, right? And keen on this because, yeah. So I wonder, I wonder what your thoughts are on that. You know, for each person, the contributors to any health condition are, are going to vary, but we do absolutely have to look at genetic contributors. We know that if there's a family history of things like depression or anxiety or alcoholism, that there is a greater likelihood that someone further down the road will experience it. So if you have parents or grandparents who have suffered with a mental health or a medical health condition, it does increase the chances that you will struggle. But that's why it's so important then to know your family history so that you can be on guard, so that you can get evaluated early, so that you can engage in life-promoting behaviors. It's a lot like heart disease. I know there's a strong family of history of heart disease in my family. It took my father. I walk every single day to make sure that I'm getting physical exercise and I try to eat right because those are things within my control. I can't control my genes, Mm. but I can control the environmental contributors and take responsibility for that. And when we look at upbringing, that is so important. I shared with you that my mother was depressed the entire time I was growing up. Well, that means not only do I have genetic contributors, but she modeled looking at life through a depressive lens. Mm, So I picked up some of those tendencies because that's how she showed me how to interact with life and stress. But then we also have to look at environmental contributors. Unfortunately, We live in a day and age where there's a lot more toxins available. There's a lot more substances that people 
use to cope that are not good for our brain or our body, and those are contributors, we can never underestimate the impact of the enemy in our life because his whole goal is to take us out and to make us less effective for God's kingdom and more effective for his. So it's not like we can say 13% of the contributor is genetics and 84 is our spouse and our job. In each situation, they're different, but we know that all of those things Mm. can contribute and snowball and make situations worse. That's right. That's right. Yeah, it's not a, a particular formula for everybody. Everybody's going to be different, but it is helpful to know what all of those contributors yeah. are, right? So, like, yeah. you can even begin to set up preemptive guardrails around some Absolutely. of that stuff, yeah. and you know, pr- um, preventative treatment, so to speak, <laughs> yeah. on some of that stuff. You know, um, yeah, that's so helpful. You know, one of the things that um, I'm, I'm seeing is that. There's still, I mean, the conversation's happening a lot more and maybe it's because I'm saturated in the conversation because we're having these kinds of, you know, um, we're having, we're having conversations like this on the podcast and stuff, but you know, there's still a major stigma in church world in terms of depression. It, It is a silent suffering. It's like, we're having these conversations out here, but we're not really doing it inside the context of our local church community. Um, you know, I'm wondering if you could speak into that in terms of why you why you think that is and how do we begin to un- unravel that a little bit? I think I have a little bit different perspective than what I frequently hear in that regard. We absolutely are seeing increased incidents of depression, anxiety, and other yeah. medical and mental health disorders. I used to say when I would speak that by dep- by 2020, Depression will be our greatest epidemic worldwide. And it has proven to be true. And because of what we've just come through as a world that has increased the incidence of depression and anxiety across every race and across all age spans. So we are seeing depression more prevalent in younger children and older people. It is still stigmatized Mm. and largely that comes out of a lack of understanding Mm. i think back to how i treated patients before i had gone through depression and i had empathy for them but there's nothing quite like having that shared experience to truly increase your understanding and compassion i do think the church is becoming more aware. Yeah. But I also think to some degree, we place an unrealistic expectation on our pastoral staff. Yeah. yeah. Even church leadership is experiencing depression and so suicidal much. tendencies yes. at a much greater rate. I've lost friends in the ministry. Yeah. We don't really understand all the stressors that our church leadership are under. They're under huge pressure to be all things to all people. And while I think it's so incumbent upon us within the church to increase our knowledge and understanding of situations like mental health, Mm -hmm. 
I do also think that we have to guard against placing an unrealistic expectation on pastoral staff Mm. to be able to diagnose and treat. It's a lot like if I had a clogged toilet. I'm not going to expect my pastor (laughs) to know how to treat that. Their training is in Bible and theology, and they do need to understand Mm. this is not all in your head. It's not a result of sin. We see plenty of people in the Bible like Elijah, like Job, like David, who If we could go back then and I could evaluate then, I'm sure they could be diagnosed with a clinical case of depression. Right, right. So I take heart that God gave us those examples. Mm -hmm. Job was blameless and upright. Wow. And yet, look what he went through. So I don't think we can say, well, Job went through depression and anxiety because he was such a greatly sinful man. He was not a perfect man, so we know there was sin there. But I think God gave us those examples to show us, look, you will go through trouble. You do have an enemy. God gave the enemy permission to inflict pain in Job's life. But good came out of that. And so all that to say, we have to be careful to blame people. Yeah. And tell them what we think the reason is why they struggle with cancer or heart disease or miscarriage or depression. Only God knows. And I think we need to develop a heart of compassion. Yes, Scripture says they will know us by our love. Mm. And so you may not know what to say when someone is going through a difficult situation because you've not been through it. But just like Job's friends, Job's friends were good friends and they only got in trouble when they started opening their mouth and blaming (laughs) Job. So true. But I think they sat there for seven days in silence to mourn with their friend. Right. And it would behoove us to spend more time sitting with those who are in pain and supporting them even in our silence. That's so good. And letting God do the deep heart work. And I think churches need to become more aware, but I also think we need to have realistic expectations. Right. Not every church can afford to have a clinical psychologist on staff. Right. But we can become more aware of the warning signs and offer to plug them in with resources. Oh, that's so good. That's so good. Speaking of, what are some of those warning signs? I mean, I'm glad you mentioned that. That's a great, I mean, it'd be so helpful for us to be able to just start cluing in and becoming aware. You know, yeah. maybe someone who's listening to this, they they feel something's off, something's shifting, but they haven't quite gotten to the, you know, rock bottom of some of depressive season. But But they're seeing, maybe there's something they can do right now to you know, that can be intervened. There can be some intervention. What are some of those warning signs? One of the biggest ones is a change in personality. Mm. Now, not all people with depression will experience the same chain. Some will experience what they would actually say is, I feel depressed. Other people will just feel like they're not quite on their game. And a lot of people who experience depression, they would never admit to a quote-unquote depressed mood perhaps because they don't really know what that feels like, but they do exhibit things like increased anger outbursts, 
irritability, isolation. So there's almost always a change in mood, but there is almost always also a change in what we would call vegetative signs or symptoms. Things like an increase or decrease in appetite. Some people with depression will eat all the time. Okay. Some people with depression have no appetite and won't eat at all. Wow. There's also change frequently in sleep habits. Some people with insomnia will want to sleep the day away. They'll want to nap when they wouldn't normally nap. They avoid things by sleeping. But then other people with depression will experience insomnia and can't sleep. Wow. And a lot of people with depression will experience a change in their energy level. Either they feel like, I got to go, 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 which I experienced when I felt like it was my responsibility to jump in and just do more. And other people will experience a decrease in energy from their normal MO. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people will also retreat and withdraw from those things that they previously found enjoyable. They Mm might have been an avid fisherman or a writer or a baker, and all of a sudden, Those things just don't bring joy anymore. They just don't feel like doing it. And probably one of the biggest things that I see is a change in what we call activities of daily living. It could be socialization. It could be people missing more work than usual. For our children, we can see a change in their academic performance, a change in them wanting to get together with friends, perhaps performing less well in their sports activities or their musical activities. What's important to know is that No two people who experience depression or anxiety are going to manifest in exactly the same way. Because to your point earlier, there's other contributors. Our diet makes an impact. Our exercise makes an impact. Our genetic makeup and the modeling in the home that we grew up in. But these are kind of some signs and symptoms to look for. And if you're experiencing more than a couple and they last longer than about two to four weeks, that's kind of an indication that this is probably something fairly significant and not just related to, say, an incident that you're responding to. So if you start to notice, boy, this has really been, been going on and it's not getting better, that's when I would suggest, first and foremost, get in with a medical provider. And the reason why I say that, most people expect me to say get in with a counselor, but first I'd say get in with a medical provider because a lot of medical conditions, heart disease, diabetes, vitamin deficiency, a lot of medical conditions will prompt the signs and symptoms that look like mental health issues. So we always want to rule out a medical condition first. And if there's no underlying medical condition, that's when I'd suggest you get in with a good qualified mental health provider. Wow, that's so good. Hey friends, let me just take a moment and ask you this. If Nothing Is Wasted has been a part of your healing journey from pain to purpose in any way, shape, or form, I wonder if you'd partner with us in this. We would love for you to take this opportunity to share about the incredible work and resources we have for those in pain with your local church pastor. That's right, I'm asking you to share something with your pastor. We've all seen the impact the past few years have had on us as individuals and our communities collectively, especially our spiritual communities. So often what is keeping those inside the church from the mission God has set in front of them 
is the personal pain that they're wrestling through. And we know the church is God's plan for bringing healing and restoration to a broken world, but it must first be experienced within the church itself. That's why on Thursday, May 12th, I'll be hosting an invitation-only Zoom call for pastors to help research and walk alongside those in any kind of trauma, tragedy, or major life transition. This interactive call will give pastors the opportunity to hear from other pastors how the Pain to Purpose course has positively impacted their churches, discover resources and tools that will lighten the load of their church staff, and help the people within your congregation heal so you can move forward together on mission for the kingdom and affect massive change in your community. Space is limited on this Zoom call, so if you have personally benefited from the Pain to Purpose course or the Nothing is Wasted community or the Nothing is Wasted podcast, we would love for you to help us spread the word. Invite your pastor and send them the link to sign up so they can learn more and register. You can find that link at www.nothingiswasted.com slash pastors. We know God wants to partner with us in our pain and turn it into an even greater purpose than we could have ever imagined. And you can be the catalyst for that healing journey in your local church by simply connecting your pastor with what we're doing here at Nothing Is Wasted. Reach out to your pastor and let them know that we are ready to help them move their community from pain to purpose. We've created a digital invite page that you can text or email to your pastor. Simply go to nothingiswasted.com slash pastors. Again, that's nothingiswasted.com forward slash pastors. We invite you to share with your pastor how Nothing Is Wasted has impacted you. Then encourage them to learn more by sharing that invitation link with them. Looking forward to a powerful discussion with pastors across the country and maybe even the world on Thursday, May 12th. Again, find more information at nothingiswasted.com slash pastors. You know, I have to imagine, you know, and I know that one of the things that you've talked about in the past before, as I've heard you speak is, is, um, you have this, this feeling, or you had this feeling at one point while you were walking through this yourself, that you, that this was kind of disqualifying you yeah, from the work that you're doing, which is a very common feeling, you know, and, um, what, what was that like for you and how did you begin to sort through those feelings. Um, what did the Lord show you in that? When I was so ill and on bed rest and tethered to an IV pool and fell into that pit of depression, the interesting piece about that is that two weeks before I became so ill, I was at a writer's conferences and I had editors and agents from many different publishing houses saying, we want you to write a book on depression. That was not really what was on my heart to write a book about, but I thought, okay, that that makes sense. I'm qualified to do that. And I went home and started writing the book proposal, and that's when I became ill. When I fell into that abyss of depression, I thought, this I'm not going to be able to go back and be a doctor. My referral sources aren't going to refer to me if they think that I don't know how to manage my own mental health. Patients, are they going to be able to trust me when they know that I've gone through depression and I couldn't prevent myself from going through that? 
I continued working on that book. And I have to tell you, Davey, it's a much different book than it would have been had I not gone through depression, had the Lord not shown me, look, you can't ignore the spiritual side. You cannot exclude me from your healing. So I went ahead and I, I wrote my first book, Hope Prevails, Insights from a Doctor's Personal Journey Through Depression. And when I returned to the private practice, the Lord released me, my doctors released me to start back slowly. And I remember the first day that I was to go back to the private practice. And if I'm honest with you, I cried all the way there. I didn't want to go back anymore. I had spent five months cocooning with the Lord. (laughs) (laughs) But I didn't want that to end. Yeah, for sure. But I also had those doubts in my mind. Mm -hmm. The day that I went back, I had to unhook, temporarily unhook my IV. I covered up my bruised arms. And I went to the office. And the first patient I saw that day had a severe medical diagnosis. And she wasn't sure she wanted to keep on living. And her arms were bruised from her neck to her wrists. And I would not normally do this, but I just, I don't know how to describe it other than I felt like it was a prompting of the Holy Spirit to show her. Mm. And that's all I really heard was show her. And I rolled up my sleeve and I showed her where my IV port was. I showed her my bruised arms and I said, I don't know exactly how you're feeling because your situation is different from mine. But Mm. I do know you are sitting before me today and I have great compassion for you. And I just want you to know God is not done with you yet. And she started to weep because she'd been to many doctors before, but she felt like nobody understood her. And in that moment, she's like, you get it. That I think I do. Wow. And that changed everything because that showed me that horrific experience I had been through and I wouldn't wish on anybody. God used at an opportune time that I could not have predicted. Wow. And it actually qualified me hmm. in her mind. Yep. And if you were to go to read the Amazon reviews of that first book, by and large, people say, I finally found someone who gets me. It's like she's reading my mail because she's been there. And that has been such a life-changing lesson for me because I talk to people all the time on my podcast and and clinically who say, you know, I feel like this discredits me from Mm. serving the Lord. I said, oh, no, no. Let me assure you that what you think discredits you is actually God's preparation to use you to minister to other people who are going through it and who are just a few steps further down the ladder than you are. Mm. Wow. Wow. That's that, you know, the word compassion means to suffer with. Suffer with. Right. Comfort others with the comfort God has given you. And that's kind of like my life motto now. Right. All right, Lord, if, if I'm going through this, then I want you to use it to help other people. That's it. That's so good. I mean, even as you were talking, I was sitting here thinking, you know, Jesus subjected himself to the human experience. Like, the, right? I think we just miss the power of the incarnation of, of Christ, that God condescended to be with us, not just so he could like comfort us or just be there. Like, you know, just like, well, I'm going to, I'm going to kind of be here for when you go through struggles. It was I'm going to go through struggles with you. 
Like I'm going to subject myself to struggles. Yeah. And if that's what really qualified Jesus to be right. the lamb of God and our savior, then how, you know, how much more than is, is it going to be those seasons, those crucible seasons for us yeah. that are going to qualify us to also be partners with him in helping yeah. other people's other people be reconciled to the Lord. Absolutely. Hmm, man. Okay. Well, here along that, along that, those lines, you know, there's so many people who are listening to this and they help others in pain, but there's a phenomenon that can happen that I've experienced this. I mean, I'm, I do two podcast interviews every single week. I'm preaching on Sundays. I'm like inundated and saturated by hearing other people's stories of pain. Yeah. And I began, so maybe we'll, maybe I'll pause for a second and this will be just like a moment of counseling for me right here, Dr. Bingston. <laughs> um, and maybe it'll benefit other people as well. How, how do I not begin to, to wear some of the, like as some people will call secondhand trauma from, from carrying other people's mm-hmm. burdens, right? Cause I hear scripture says like carry each other's burdens, you know, and, but like, what does that look like? Cause I'm sure you're experiencing, you're, you're hearing so much, you're carrying this oh, yeah. with people so much. How do you also keep your soul healthy so that you're not beginning to just, it's starting to erode your effectiveness? Sometimes I think that we have a tendency to assume responsibility for other Mm. people's journey and other people's healing. And that is not scriptural. That verse that we just referenced says to comfort others Mm. with the comfort that he has given you. It doesn't say I'm responsible for their healing. I'm responsible for speaking truth and God is responsible for doing the healing. Wow. But we can sometimes end up carrying that burden. Yeah. And I think it's incumbent on us to remember that that vertical relationship Mm. with God between me and God and them and God is the most important relationship. Wow. And to give them back to God. We can thank God for the opportunity to share of our own pain and our own comfort. Yeah. But then we have to hand them back to God and say, but Mm. they're yours. So good. You show me what my part is. Our part is to be obedient to what God asks us to do. So if God asks us to walk along somebody... We have to be obedient to that. But then God is the one who is responsible for the harvest. Wow. That's so good. That's so good. I know I, I have to think of it sometimes as like, okay, we're quote unquote carrying each other's burdens, but we were not meant to carry burdens. There's only one right. who was, right. and that's Jesus. And so we're supposed to, he says, cast your burdens yeah. on him, cast your cares on him because he cares for you. And so it's like, I think of it as like a, hey, I'm gonna help you shoulder this, but we're actually, I'm actually gonna help you cast this. Is what I want to help you do. Um, and I think the other part that we have to remember is, we're not only to weep with those who weep, mm. but but God's economy balances it out because He says, and rejoice wow. with those who rejoice. Yeah. So if we're always focused on weeping with those who weep but we don't have the other side of the equation, it is going to be very balanced. It is going to be very heavy. And those of us who walk alongside those who are in pain, 
we need to focus on the things that we talked about early on in this episode. We have to be taking care of our own physical Mm. and emotional and spiritual well-being before we can truly help others. If I'm doing that to the risk of my own physical health, rest, nutrition, time in the word, it is going to become a heavy burden. Yeah, yeah. So we have to be modeling for those that we're walking alongside what they need to be doing as well. Wow, that's so good. That's so good. Okay, I know we're coming down to time. I have one more question and it's it's burning on my heart. And maybe it's one, it's because I'm thinking about it so fresh. I wonder if you have any insight into this, but you mentioned earlier that now, especially post COVID 2020, all of the, I mean, everything that happened, not just COVID, like political unrest, I mean, right. the <laughs> stuff that's stirring and brewing in our world that is causing a lot of latent trauma to come up and depression and anxiety to just ripple throughout all different, you know, people groups and ethnicities, and but also age groups that, that we're seeing, especially with teenagers today, yeah. this increase in, you know, depression, anxiety, suicide ideation, suicide. Do you have any insight into it? Because it's a very different world than when I was a teenager. It is. And there's a, some very unique challenges and struggles that teenagers face. Can you kind of, in some ways, just... Give us an overview of that and your experience, your expertise. Like, what is it? What is it that our teenagers are facing that is unique to them, and why is it contributing to some of these statistically the things that we're seeing happen? The biggest change between their generation and our generation and those before us is that in our generation, when bad things would happen, you had to wait to see it on the evening news. Mm. But because of the advent of the internet and social media, Mm. those oppressive situations are in their face. And they're also under this really artificial culture, if you will, where social media posts have to be perfect with the right filter. And, and, you know, they'll retake the photo 30 times until it looks like life is great. Now, we always had things like Vogue and Cosmopolitan, but, you know, it wasn't in our face and available to us 24-7. So our youth and our children today are under a greater degree of influence, I would say, from the enemy because— Bullying used to be on the playground when someone would call you a bad name. Now we have cyberbullying, and you can't get that off the Internet. Once it's put out there, it's out there forever. And so as parents, we can't do away with the Internet. Teachers rely on the Internet to say, you know, go read this article. But it is it is our responsibility to teach our children that the Bible says we have to guide, guard, excuse me, guard our eye gates and our ear gates. That's right. That's right. And so the more we are spending time on screens and on the internet, the more we will likely see continued increased incidents in bullying, mental health disorders, and folks who feel like their only alternative is a permanent solution to a temporary problem. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Man, there's so much. 
there's so much, especially now it makes, it makes me just so much aware, so much more aware of how important the work is that you're doing. And, you know, those who are listening and watching this, um, the work that you're doing in terms of being compassionate healers to other people, suffering with other people, helping other people, being caregivers, whatever it looks like. And then also, you know, those of you guys who are watching this and listening to this, who you're in your own dark valley and you're experiencing stuff, I want to make sure that you get um, turned on to some of Dr. Bingston's work and what she's what she's doing and what she's put out there. Um, how can we follow you and your material more? I know that we've got this latest book that you've released. Today is going to be a good day. Uh, we'll make sure that we put a link to that in the show notes. I want to make sure everybody picks up a copy of that. 90 Promises from God to Start Your Day Off Right. Um, what else, what, how else can we follow you and what you're doing? I'm on all the socials under Dr. Michelle Bankson. I've got a podcast, Your Hope-Filled Perspective, where mm. we talk about a lot of these scenarios, but from a biblically-based hope-filled perspective. I've got a regular blog and newsletter that goes out. My books are available on Amazon or wherever books are sold. But the biggest thing that I want people to know is that those resources are there because yeah. I care. And I want you to have something that's based in God's truth to that's hold great. on to. Mm, that's so great. That's so great. Thank you so much for your time today. This has just been an incredible conversation. So insightful. I feel like I've got pages and pages. I'm going to go back and watch this conversation because I can't take notes while I'm having the conversation and take pages of notes of this. And so I hope that you have as well as you're listening to this or as you're watching this. Thank you, Dr. Bingston. It's been my joy and delight. Well, that was another incredible, powerful conversation with uh, Michelle and Davey. Dang. Definitely. A lot, of, a lot of good stuff that we could explore from that episode. I think some of the things that stood out to me was this idea of, um, like, just because you're an expert in something doesn't necessarily mean you're uh, immune from it. Yes, that is... That is so true. I, um, you know, I I just finished last semester a, a class on uh, marriage counseling, and mm. our our marriage counseling professor. He has a PhD in marriage and relationships. Uh, he only counsels the like the worst of the worst cases. Wow! And you know, that's his schedule's full of that. And wow. he said every time I speak on. Um, the, the matter of, you know, speak a, preach a sermon or speak on, on marriage. He said, I always mention something that our marriage counselor has told me. And mm. he said, because I want people to know that you can have a PhD in the field and s still need counseling. Like, mm. that's just a normal part of life. We, we, we need other people um, yeah. speaking into our lives. And, and having the knowledge and doing the right things isn't, it's... Uh, you know, life isn't a vending machine where if you put in the right coins, you get out what you want. Mm. I wish life was a vending machine sometimes. <laughs> you're saying that, I'm like, wouldn't that make it easier? Just it would. What I want. But my bag I, of M&Ms would still get stuck every time. I know, there. it's so true. I, you know, I've, I've been thinking about this kind of in a different way, not necessarily in mental health, but my, Eric, you may not know this, my best friend died from breast cancer about three months ago. And oh, so no, I have just sorry. been in like the... Thank you. I have been in the depths of heartache and grief. And I also am an author and have written a lot about lament and the spiritual practice of mm. lament. And so, so it's important. been interesting to me 
to be like this quote unquote, you know, writer in this particular field, but now be walking through it. You know, I've been through grief before, but walking through it in this new way that feels so close. And I have had to battle this lie a little bit. Like I should be able to quote unquote lament better. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And <laughs> and thankfully I've had good friends. Like we talk about the power of community, like good friends speak into me like, girl, <laughs> you're grieving. You know, this yeah. this is okay to be messy and to not and, yeah. and you know, to kind of I think for any of us to remove this title of expert that we might put on ourselves in any area, right? Church mm-hmm. leaders might feel the pressure to do this, moms might feel the pressure to do this, marketplace people, and to go, well wait, once you're walking through it yourself, that's a totally different thing than what you like know in your head about something. Yeah. And somehow God's invitation is to meet us there. Yes. And I, I think that's such uh, an important thing that we know about Jesus that, you know, he, the author of Hebrews says that he had to be made like his brothers and sisters in every mm. respect so he could be a merciful high priest. Mm. And part of that is... He's tempted in every way that we were tempted. Uh, so he knows how to help us in time of need, like experientially. Yeah. And we we find Jesus in the garden saying, my soul is sorrowful even to the point of death. Mm. And obviously he did everything right. He, he, was, <laughs> <laughs> he was the sinless son of God. Right, right. And he's so sad he could die. Yeah. And mm. that is relief there that mm. our grief is not necessarily our depression, our sadness is not necessarily because we've sinned or done anything wrong. It's yeah. part of living in a world under a curse. Yeah. And, and, and then I think too, you know what you're saying about this pressure to lament right. Mm-hmm. Um, we also know that Jesus lamented. I mean, there's an element of lament in that prayer in the garden. Absolutely. And he lamented perfectly, mm-hmm. which means... Wherever we actually mess up in our lament, mm-hmm. uh, he's covered. Yeah, <laughs> and and so it's it's not like God is sitting back, going, you know, Aubrey. Once you figure out how to lament right, <laughs> then I'm going to respond to this. Right, right. Then <laughs> you know? I'll take away your grief and heal yeah. you. And yeah, right. You stand right. in the merits and grace of Christ. That's right. And, yeah, that's exactly right. Um, Eric, in some of your, your research and just your experiences as a pastor, talk to me about the value of caring for someone who's walking through this kind of depression um, and even caring for you know ourselves as leaders if we're walking through hmm. it. Yeah. You know, the first thing uh, that God, you know, all through creation— and God saw that it was good, so God saw that it was good. And then we have this, it's not good. Yeah. And and this is before sin and the fall. It's not good mm-hmm. that man should be alone. God mm-hmm. intended us to experience all of life in community. Yeah. And I think sometimes, you know, especially as ministry leaders, as pastors, uh, as caregivers, we think that we're the ones who should be pouring out into others, for others, we're providing the care. We shouldn't need the care. Mm. And, or, or we think that needing other people is a sign that we're doing something wrong. When yeah, actually totally. that's how God designed us. Yeah. And I, it, it's, I think that 
this is an act of humility to say, yeah. I, I, not, I need help. I need the Lord ultimately. And the way that the Lord helps us is through other people that mm. he's equipped to help us. And mm. so when we think we're strong enough to muscle through it on our own, yeah. or when we think that I'll just get through this me and God, mm. uh, well, the way that God wants you to get through this with mm. him uh, maybe through the gift of grace that is other people. Yeah. I appreciate that you said it, that it's a form of humility, because I do think somehow evil can kind of twist our own thinking so that we are, we think to need someone or to ask for help is actually not humble. Yes. Right. That like the the humble thing is to do this on my own. And it's yeah. funny to me because I think, I, you know, most of my friends I'm talking to, I know this, this community here at Nothing Is Wasted. I know you too. None of us are like the bootstrap people. We all yeah. know, nope. no, you're not nope. supposed to pull up your, like, I feel like we're all sort of beyond that culturally. And yet something is still in there. Do as I That's, say, not as I do. <laughs> yeah. Like there's that, that pressure we yeah. put on ourselves. I, it's. I, it's not okay for me to not be okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know? It's, um, and, and we make up such fine sounding excuses as though we're serving <laughs> other people. You know, I just don't want to put this burden on others. <laughs> and, <laughs> we're so know. good at like sounding spiritual about it. That's so true. <laughs> you know, I just did this on Sunday, um, we had a members meeting at our church, which is, they're just delightful times and people sharing their prayer requests and their needs. And mm. I really felt like I should ask for prayer for this book project that I'm working on. Yeah. And people kept asking and going up to the microphone. And then we got to the end and there's this like, there's this like break, you know, in silence. And then I'm thinking like, I feel selfish to draw attention to a book project mm. I'm working on. You know, we've gone on for so long and it's coming up on lunchtime. <laughs> and and then I just didn't ask for prayer. And, wow. and then we're praying and I'm like, mm. Eric, that was that was pathetic. Mm. <laughs> you know, like yeah. what would be better for the congregation to have a pastor model, hey, I need you to pray I for me. I need your help. For something. Yeah. 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 That, you're right. That is a very strange inner I don't know what that is. And I would I would tell every single church member, ask for prayer. It's you not totally a burden. Would. That's what we're here for. Right. Yeah. We want to carry each other. That's what the body is about. Yeah, yes. you would. Mm, very, very interesting. I think that's something we probably all wrestle with. And and for our listeners who are hurting walking through their own, you know, long, dark night of the soul, walking through a season of depression or grief or heartache. This is part of why Nothing is Wasted exists. This is part of why we've created our community platform and our Community Plus platform for you, because we know that we cannot walk through this stuff alone. We weren't Amen. meant to, like Eric said. And so we have built this community just for you with other people who are walking through pain and suffering, but trying to grasp for hope in the midst of it and experiencing the grace and love of Jesus in the midst of it. And so we want to invite you to go to our website, nothingiswasted.com slash community, 
where we have all kinds of resources for you, groups for you, other people that are part of uh, the Nothing Is Wasted family, really, so that you don't have to walk this journey alone. Again, that's nothingiswasted.com slash community. We also want to thank Sleeping At Last for providing all of the music for the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. And we love engaging with you on social media. You can follow us at Nothing Is Wasted Ministries, at Davy Blackburn, at Obsamp, and Eric, you want to share your Instagram with the people? At E.M. Shoemaker. That's uh, S-C-H-U-M-A-C-H-E-R. And we also want to invite you to subscribe to the podcast and on YouTube. Be sure to review, like, and subscribe. By doing all of that, you help other people find these incredible stories of pain to purpose and so much more. And I am very excited because next week we have a very uh, special conversation with our very own Eric Shoemaker. Yeah, Uh, I look forward to it. Yeah, this is going to be good. Eric, I don't want to give too much away, but do you want to give us a little glimpse of what you and Davey are going to talk about next week? So we talked about um, my journey through miscarriage as Mm. a father. Wow. Oh, cannot wait. Cannot wait to take a listen to that. So let's go ahead and take a listen to part of Eric's conversation with Davey. Walked out to the the waiting room and uh, f- tried to find a place to take a seat by myself, you know, in the corner because this is a OBGYN practice, you know, and there's pregnant women all over the place and other right. people. And last thing you want is someone asking you a question about what you're having or why you're there. And, um, and I just felt overwhelming shame uh, when I sat down. Like wow. you're not a you're not a real man. Like is this what kind of a, you know, you're just a failure as a man wow. that you, you know, you not only couldn't protect your wife and your child, uh, but you can't even sit there. You left her alone. You abandoned her uh, during this procedure. Oh, and wow. uh, I didn't realize I was carrying that much shame over miscarriage um, until several years later, I think, when I really started processing that. But even, I, I even noticed, came to realize shame played a big part in my experience as a father wow. of miscarriage. Um, even when you return to the church and as a pastor, you feel this need to like, she's the one suffering. And she is. And she's suffering in different ways. You know, she's gone through the physical aspects of the pregnancy. and uh, But... You know, so all the conversations revolve around how she doing. If guys even mention it, guys usually don't even mention it, and um, or they ask how your wife is doing. And I just felt the need to be spiritual and tough, and um, you know, keep the focus on her because I felt like it would be selfish for me to uh, acknowledge my own hurt and trauma, and uh, which is a lie because uh, we love our wives better when we're processing. Uh, our own stuff better wow. and uh, and when we're processing it with them <laughs>